One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Well, good morning, church. What a wonderful time of worship. I love that song that we are singing about the victory that we experience through Jesus. And the scripture says this, that we should praise God who always leads us in triumph. And I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what challenges you're facing, but I know every single one of us is facing difficulties of one kind or another. But I'm so glad that we know the end of the story, that Jesus is victorious. And so today I hope that you are sensing uh, the presence of God. I hope that you're sensing faith rising up in your spirit. And I would love to just pray for you uh, right now that God would just lift your spirit, that there would be an atmosphere of faith. And so Father, I pray right now, Lord, for every person uh, hearing this, every person that has joined us today for a time of worship, God, I pray that there would be faith that would rise in our hearts. Father, thank you, Lord, that we are victorious, that we are more than conquerors through Jesus. And so, Father, we uh, recognize that, we believe that, we receive it today by faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. So, so good to be with you all this morning. And I want to say a special welcome to all of you who are our guests today, maybe joining us online for the first time, uh, maybe joining us in a house church, wherever you're at, we are so glad that you are with us. And also shout out to all of the house church people today. House church is where it's at and uh, in this season. Although I want to encourage all of you to join us next Sunday, we're going to be having an awesome all church gathering at the Winter Park Community Center. For those of you that just joined online, we, we will still be broadcasting the service online next Sunday. But those who can join in person, I really want to encourage you, come out. Uh, I feel the Lord's put a message in my heart that I am excited to share with you. We're just going to have a great time uh, together, have some food after the service. So join us next Sunday, 10 a.m. at the Winter Park Community Center. Well, if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it with me today and turn to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to continue the series that we've been in for a few weeks as we're starting out the new year in this season that we are calling Temple. And temple is really a, an Old Testament concept that reveals a New Testament reality. The temple in the Old Testament was the place where God's presence dwelt. It was in the temple that the Ark of the Covenant was kept, where God's presence was manifest. And when God's presence was among God's people, there was victory, uh, there was joy, there was blessing, there was favor, there was prosperity, all of the blessing of God followed the presence of God. And so we are taking time at the beginning of this year in this season that we're calling temple. And we're just talking about how do we make room for God to move? And so today I want to continue that thought out of this uh, passage in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And if you're taking notes today, I want to speak to you, to you a message that I'm calling bring back the blessing. Bring back the blessing. Or, or you could call it the practice of returning. Last week, my dad brought a phenomenal word about seeking first the kingdom of God. And I want to continue with that thought. Uh, what do you do when you have maybe lost the presence of God? What do you do uh, to bring the blessing of God back into your life? 
And uh, here in 2 Kings chapter 6, we find an incredible story that you may be familiar with. But I, I believe that God wants to speak to all of us uh, through this story. And just to give you a little context before we get to the scripture, uh, here we find Israel, uh, God's people uh, that he has chosen to use to bless the whole world. And they have experienced this season of incredible blessing, incredible uh, prosperity, victory. David uh, has been crowned the king of Israel, and he has led them in what has now come to be known as the golden age of Israel. He uh, led them in battle to defeat enemies, to take territory. It was uh, an economic prosperous time. Uh, he also united uh, Israel back together as one kingdom. And so David is just on a roll. And here we find David now preparing to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. The ark had been captured by the Philistines and then had still not been fully returned back to the tabernacle, the forerunner of the temple. And David wants to bring it back. But we find in this passage that even in David's willingness to bring the presence of God back, he, he, he really makes a mistake that almost becomes a, a tremendous loss for Israel as a whole that certainly is a momentary loss and, and ultimately even costs uh, one of David's followers his life. And I believe it is a message both of encouragement but also perhaps a bit of warning for us as God's people that we should pursue and not just that we should but how we should pursue the presence of God. And so I want to look at this passage of scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and uh, verse 1 says this, and David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000 and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. Here we find David beginning to bring back the, the ark of God, the presence of God, that which symbolizes the manifest presence of God that brings the blessing of God upon Israel. And we're going to find in just a moment that David, uh, David's mistake is revealed. But already we begin to see some pitfalls that ultimately result in this stumble and fumble of the presence of God uh, that, that I believe is a warning to every single one of us. You see, the first thing I want you to see is the pitfall for the presence of God that David fell into was the pitfall of personal success. Personal success. The scripture says that David gathered all the choice men of Israel, over 30,000 men. This is a stark contrast from the way that David began. David began just as a, not a military leader, but as a shepherd boy out on the backside uh, of the wilderness. Uh, he didn't have a crowd around him. He was just a shepherd boy with a flock, but he was faithful to cultivate the presence of God, to worship God as he was in that place. And uh, his heart was after God. He was in the field. But if you know the story of David, he goes from the field to being uh, anointed king, ultimately being chased by Saul, running for his life, and he finds himself in a cave. And, and David is in a cave, and it's in that place that he's crying out to God, pursuing God. But now David's gone from the field to the cave, and now he's in the palace. He's become successful. And it's in that place 
of success that we find the potential pitfall that David faced, that every single one of us can face that can become a pitfall to the presence of God, personal success. Now, there's nothing wrong with success. Uh, In fact, I believe we should all want to be successful in what God has called us to. We should be faithful and fruitful. And here, the success that David experienced was actually the, the, the result of God's blessing on his life. God had called him to be the king. But now he's come into the kingdom and now he begins to be casual about the presence of God. The Bible warns us again and again about the dangers of success. The book of Proverbs says that we should not desire to be overly rich or overly poor. If we're overly rich, we may be full and curse God. The book of Deuteronomy warned the children of Israel that when they came out of Egypt, that they were to be careful lest when they had eaten and were full, lest when they built beautiful homes and enjoyed all of the blessing and the prosperity and the goodness that God had for them, lest they forget the Lord. And I believe that's a warning to every single one of us that there is a pitfall in personal success, that we are to be careful that we don't lose the very thing that produce the success, the blessing, the favor on our lives. That's the presence of God. And David is finding himself facing this pitfall as he's gone from the field to the cave, now into the palace. And we need to be careful, even in all of the success, perhaps you have goals and vision and ideas of what you want to accomplish this year. And I want to just remind you, there's nothing wrong with that. I believe God wants to bless us and cause our lives to increase in fruitfulness. But Be careful of the pitfall of success that we don't miss out or lose the presence of God. The scripture goes on to say this in verse three. So they set the ark of God on a new cart. If you have your Bible, underline that. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill and Uzzah and Ahio. The sons of Abinadab drove the new cart. Notice that language. They set the ark on a new cart. Now, maybe you're familiar with this story, but you may not know the the context or where they came up with the idea of the new cart. You see, God had commanded Israel to carry the ark of God's presence, not on a cart, but on poles on the shoulders of the priest. It was the priests who were to bear the burden of God's presence, that they were to carry God's presence on their shoulders. But if you know the history, you know that when the ark was captured by the Philistines, that they placed it on a cart. And it was actually on a cart pulled by cattle when it was returned back to Israel. And somewhere in that, Israel kind of got the idea of, Hey, why are we carrying the cart? Let's, uh, why are we carrying the ark? Let's put it on a cart. And, and I, I believe that reveals a second pitfall of the presence of God, a pitfall that we can face as God's people that can result in us losing the presence of God. Now, I'm not saying that we lose our salvation. I'm not saying that, that we're no longer God's people. Israel was always God's people but we can lose out on the presence of God. That's why the scripture says in the New Testament that we are to be careful that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom we are sealed for the day of promise. So there is this sealing 
this, uh, this uh, security that we have. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, but you can grieve the Holy Spirit. And when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you lose the manifest presence of God that brings the blessing of God, the favor of God on your life. And the second pitfall that we can fall into is not just personal success, but worldly influence. Worldly influence. They picked up the ways of the Philistines and they said, hey, this is a better idea. Heck, it works. It works. Let's just put this thing on a cart and let's just put it into cruise control. Life will be easier. Uh, Everything will will just go better. Maybe they thought, well, you know, God kind of needs an upgrade. Uh, You know, carrying on the poles, that's so old fashioned. God needs an upgrade. We need to be a little more relevant to the world around us so that we can reach the world around us. Well, let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with, of course, being relevant to the time that we live in. But the way we reach the world around us is never by becoming like the world around us. And they were compromising on the word of God. They were disobeying God. They they adopted the methods of the Philistines because they worked. But not everything that works is worship. And as God said to Saul through Samuel, I I want obedience rather than sacrifice. God is looking for obedience in our lives. You know, the church can often be the same way. We can think, you know what, we've just got to update things. Now, I don't want you to think I'm some sort of church curmudgeon, that I'm sort of, uh, you know, turning into some grumpy old man that is against any progress or advancement. I mean, you know, I'm preaching at a camera today. um, And I, I certainly think there should be advancements, but there are some things that should change. And there are some things that should never change. And, you know, sometimes we can think, well, you know, uh, prayer, that's so old fashioned or repentance. Well, that's old fashioned or biblical sexuality. That's old fashioned. We need to we need to get with the times. You know, we need to adopt the ways of the world. But ultimately, God is looking for people who will carry his presence, people who will love his presence more than they love the ways of the world. And so the second pitfall we can fall into is not just personal success, but worldly influence. And I believe that it's the presence of God that makes us relevant to the world around us, attractive to the world around us, not through becoming just like them. And so we can fall into the pitfall of becoming successful, forgetting about the presence of God. We can fall into the pitfall of adopting the ways of the world rather than obeying the word of God. If you continue to read, the scripture says that they, as they set it on the new cart in verse four, they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of Instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums. Boy, I love a good sistrum, a, a sistrum solo. Nothing gets me going like a sistrum solo. And on cymbals. <laughs> they were playing music. And, and, and notice that it says this, that they played music, but it doesn't say they worshipped. I, I believe this gives us another picture of a pitfall that can that we can fall into and lose the presence of God. And that is religious routine. 
not just personal success and worldly influence, but we can also fall into religious routine, going through the motions. They were still going through the motions of worship, but they weren't obeying God. Therefore, it wasn't really worship. And you can be in an atmosphere of worship. You can have great music. You can even lift your hands and clap. But it may not be worship. It may just be a religious routine. And God is looking for worshipers. And so I want to I encourage you in this moment to be careful not to fall into religious routine. You know, we've been thrown out of our routine. We've been thrown out of what is normal and usual. And certainly worship looks different today than it has in the past. And I know for some of us that can be a challenge, but ultimately God's looking for men and women who will carry the, the, the ark of God's presence that would be a worshiper wherever they go. A, a heart of worship is what God is looking for, not a form of godliness that denies the power. And so we see these pitfalls of personal success uh, the, the pitfall of worldly influence, the pitfall of religious routine. And you continue to read and you see the outcome of this in the life of Israel. The Bible says this in verse six. And when they came to nation's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. The oxen stumbled. You see, when we depend on personal success, worldly influence or just religious routine, there will always come a point where, where that will fall through, where that will stumble, where that will break down. And Uzzah put out his hand. He was trying to prop up the presence of God. He was trying to prop up the move of God in his own strength. There's many people that are worn out because they're just pursuing their own personal success, worldly influence, religious routine, rather than being priests of God as they've been called to. The scripture says this, Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. What a, what a warning for every single one of us. You know, I, I know we can read that and there's some scriptures in the Bible that we don't like to read. I mean, here we have God striking Uzzah and killing him. You can read that and think, wow, what's wrong with God? Did he not have his coffee in the morning? Why is he so grumpy? Or, or is this some sort of Old Testament God that's different than the New Testament? No, the reality is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what the scripture is telling us is that there is a line. There is a line. And Israel had been disobedient. David and the priests had been disobedient to God. God had specifically said to them, don't put the, uh, don't put the ark on a cart. Carry it on the, on the poles, on the priests of the shoulders. The scripture also tells us that the priests were to not touch the holy things. So Uzzah, as the priest, had an understanding of the ways of God, the commands of God. And, and we find Uzzah, along with the other priest, in willful disobedience repeatedly to the word of God. And I, I believe that this is a, a warning to all of us that there is a line. That just as God is merciful, He is also just. Now, I'm not saying that that means that we lose our salvation, that, that just through an act of disobedience, that we lose our salvation, but we can lose the blessing of God. 
We can lose the presence of God. The, the Bible says in the New Testament that the wages of sin is death. And that may not just be eternal spiritual death. It may be death. Uh, it may not even be physical death, but it may be death to the purpose of God. Death to the relationships that God has put within your life. Uh, death to the calling and the gifts that God has placed on your life. Again, not that God is wanting that. The scripture says he's not willing that any should perish, but it is a warning to every single one of us that there is a line. You know, I'm reminded of a, a, a moment a few years ago. I was on vacation with my family. We had this epic road trip and one of our stops was at the Grand Canyon and we reserved this cabin in the Grand Canyon National Park on the North Rim. We came to the cabin. It was dark. It was night. And uh, we, we stayed there for the night, woke up in the morning, and we found that the cabin was right on the edge of the canyon. I mean, literally feet from the canyon. And of course, I've got four kids. Clara wasn't walking at the time, but I've got three playful boys. And you can imagine as a dad, I was a nervous wreck. I, I was on edge. I was afraid. Uh, one of the kids went close to the edge to pick up a rock, and I'm like, no, get back, get back. Now, let me uh, tell you why I'm using that illustration. I'm using that illustration not because, uh, I wasn't afraid because the canyon is bad. The canyon is not bad. The canyon is grand. And the reason I was fearful is not because of the badness of the canyon, but the grandness of the canyon. And the same is true when it comes to God. It's God's goodness, His holiness, His majesty that, that we worship. But that also should produce in us a reverence, a holy fear that we don't treat the presence of God with flippancy, that, that we don't become casual with the presence of God. You see, here Israel was continuing to go through the motions you see, when we drift spiritually from the presence of God, we don't wake up one day and curse God. We just become casual. We, we just kind of lose our passion. As Jesus says, that we become lukewarm. That's why he counsels the church in Revelation to go back to your first love. That passion in our hearts for God that we drift away from. And we don't curse God or forget about God usually. Usually the way it happens is our prayers become tepid. We no longer have the hunger for the word of God that we once had. We no longer have the passion for the presence of God and worship. And now we just kind of become casual. We're just content to take the easy way through life and the easy way of serving God. We're, we're willing to just kind of put our spiritual life in cruise control. And I want to encourage you today that the life you long for is life with God, in the presence of God. And so we can never afford to become casual towards the presence of God. And David saw what happened to Uzzah. And the Bible says that David became angry in verse 8 because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah. To this day, that means outbreak against Uzzah. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him to the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. 
The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So as the oxen has stumbled, David is now fumbling the presence of God. And, and no longer is he holding on to it, but now he's handing off the presence of God. He's passing it off to Obed-Edom. And I don't know if you've ever read about Obed-Edom, but he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. You know, we don't really even know much about Obed-Edom other than he lived apparently on the road or along the road on the way to Jerusalem. He was on the way to Jerusalem and he had a house. That's about all we know. I, I don't know about you, but I kind of imagine Obed-Edom as kind of the guy that ran the, um, you know, their version of the, um, you know, service station along the way to Jerusalem. And he's kind of coming out in his, in, in his coveralls and he sees the cart tumble and David says, you, you this thing's going to your house. And Obed-Edom uh, took the ark home. I, I wonder what that conversation was like with uh, Mrs. Edom when Obed showed up with the ark. I, I wonder what it was like when he he said to his wife, uh, sweetheart, uh, we're going to have some guests. And maybe she said, oh, Obed, I've told you, don't, don't show up with people here without asking, without talking to me first. And maybe Obed-Edom said to his wife, well, sweetheart, you'd better just get ready. And she said, who's coming? God's coming. God's coming. And Obed-Edom, although he wasn't the king, although he wasn't a priest, Obed-Edom was willing to make space for God in his life. I don't know what his house was like. Maybe it was a small home, but he was pushing everything else aside to make room for the presence of God. Maybe there wasn't even room for he and his family, but maybe they said, we'll just sleep outside. We're going we're gonna to make space for God to move in our house. And here's what I want you to see is that the Bible says that God blessed the house of Obed-Edom. You see, when God moves into your life, when you make space for God in your life, in your schedule, when you make space for God and you're not saying, God, I'm too busy, I'm sorry, or, or, or you make space for God in your finances by honoring God in your finances through tithes and generosity to those in need, you're making space for God. You make space for God just in your heart and your affections and worship. When God moves into your life, here's the beautiful thing is that God brings his stuff with him. When he moves in, he brings his stuff with him. It's what the New Testament calls the fruit of the spirit. He brings peace. He brings joy. He brings love. He brings patience. He brings goodness. And it fills the atmosphere of our lives and of our homes. If we'll make space for God, and Obed-Edom said, I, I, I don't care what the cost is. I want the presence of God. Let me ask you this. Do you want the presence of God? Do you want the presence of God bad enough to make space for God, whatever the cost? One church, Park District, let me ask you, do we want the presence of God? Do we want the presence of God more than anything in life because we recognize the life we long for is the life with God? Do we have that desperation in our hearts or have we grown content with our personal success? 
Have we grown influenced by the ways of the world and we just think we need to become more like the world? We need to be more cool and hip and trendy. Nothing wrong with those things, but let me tell you, that will never give us the life we long for. Have we become influenced by religious routine? We go through worship. We, we let the songs play, but our hearts are far from God. Jesus warns the religious of his day saying this, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Obed-Edom was willing to make space for God. The Bible says this, that when David heard about it, he longed for the presence of God. You see, David left the ark, the presence of God. He left it with Obed-Edom and he went back to his palace. And he was he, he was surrounded by all the trappings of his success, all of the comforts. He was surrounded by all of the people that thronged to him as the king of Israel and his multitude of wives. He had everything in the natural he ever could have longed for except the presence of God. And it was in that place that the heart that David had, as he had been that shepherd boy those years ago, where he had learned in the backside of the wilderness, that he may not have anything, but if he has God, he has everything. That heart became awakened within David. And he began to say things like, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. My soul longs and thirsts for the courts of God. And he said, I want the presence of God more than anything else. I'd rather have God than have the kingdom. You see, oftentimes we become content to have the kingdom without the king. And David said, I, I, I want the king. I, I want the presence of God. And scripture says this, that he went back. He went back. You see, that's a, a, a challenge for us today. Have we drifted from the presence of God? Have we allowed perhaps an area of compromise or disobedience to set in? to pull our hearts away from that first love that we had for God. This is a moment as we're in this season to, to, to evaluate our own hearts and lives, to see is our heart still after God. So the scripture says this, that David heard of the blessing that was on Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him. And verse 12 says this, So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. You know, if the story had ended that David went back to Jerusalem and the, the uh, ark stayed with Obed-Edom, we may not be telling this story today, but the beauty is that David recognized that he needed to bring the presence back. He needed to bring the blessing of God's presence back. And I want to show you a few things that David did. The first thing that David did is he repented. And I believe if we want to bring back the blessing of God, we've got to repent. Notice it says that David went. He got up off of his throne. He left his palace and he went back to Obed-Edom's house. He, he made the journey back. That's what it means to repent. To repent is to have a change of thinking that results in a change of direction. And sometimes for us as followers of Jesus, that's, that means we just recognize, God, I've drifted away. I want to go back to where I was. You know, Jesus preached the gospel. He said this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first word is repent. 
You'll never experience the life of God without first having a change of mind that you recognize that I could have everything, but if I don't have God, I have nothing. So David repented. David repented. He went back and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And it says this, so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. The second thing David did, not only did he repent, the second thing he did is he renewed. And I believe if we, if we are going to bring back the blessing of God, we've got to renew the presence of God in our lives through worship. Notice before the scripture says that they played music before the Lord, but now the Bible says they sacrificed. I'm not diminishing the value of music to bring us into the presence of God, but you can have a worship experience and not worship because worship by definition requires sacrifice. And David was demonstrating with his life the decision of his heart that I am willing to give everything to gain the presence of God. He was renewing his love for the Lord. You know, it's kind of like in marriage. There's moments in time where you need to go back to the first moment. Oftentimes when I walk out the door in the morning, when I say goodbye to my wife, I kiss her before I leave. And almost every day I'm reminded of looking at her at our, on our wedding day. I can see her face on our wedding day, how beautiful she looked and continues to look. But there's that renewal in my heart. And, you know, practically the same thing is true in marriage. I want to encourage you, if you're married, to join us on the, the marriage course coming up, just to renew, to, to go back to that first love. It's so important for every one of us. But we need to renew our passion for the Lord. That's what we're doing in this season. We're saying, God, I'm giving up food, perhaps. I'm giving up time. I'm giving up some of the activities of life because I want your presence. If I have everything else, but I don't have your presence, God, that will never satisfy. So we need to renew our love for God. David went back and sacrificed. He went six steps and sacrificed all the way back to Jerusalem. And verse 17 says, So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. I love that. It says that they brought it back. And they set it in the midst. In other words, it wasn't on the outside. It wasn't on the peripheral. It wasn't just a, a nice accessory. It was the centerpiece. The third thing I believe we have to do if we want God's presence is we have to reorder our lives. We have to reorder. It's not enough to just spend some time seeking God at the beginning of the year, but we need to take time to reorder our lives, perhaps reorder our schedule, perhaps reorder our finances, perhaps reorder our day so that God is not just an accessory, but He's the centerpiece that life revolves around. Why? Because life with God is the life we long for, a life of peace, a life of joy. The scripture says that David returned the ark back to Jerusalem. And if you continue to read on in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you see that David had it in his heart to build God a house. 
He, he said this, why do I live in a palace and God lives in a tent? I want to build a temple. I want to make a place, a, a beautiful place for the presence of God. And the Bible says that God replied to David, David, because you want to build me a house, because you want to make space and a place for me in your life, that among the people of Israel, David, I will establish your throne and your house forever. And ultimately, that was fulfilled through the life of Jesus, the seed of David who sits on the throne and of his kingdom, there will be no end. When we have a heart for God's house, God has a heart for our house. As we saw last week that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So I want to ask you again today, do you have a heart for God? Or have you made room for God in your life? Uh, have you allowed the presence of God, the, the love that you have for God to drift to the peripheral of your life? Have you allowed perhaps little compromises or a casual attitude to set in in your pursuit after God? The, the story of David gives us hope that we can repent, we can renew, and we can re order our lives. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray wherever you're at that God would call every single one of us back to that place of our first love. Father, I thank you, Lord, for every person watching this, listening to this. Father, wherever they're at, God, I thank you that through Jesus, Lord, the veil in the temple was torn. The separation between God and man was broken down, Lord, so that we can have access to your presence. God, I pray right now, Lord, that we would bring back the blessing of your presence, God. Lord, I pray that in every heart, Lord, there would be a turning back to you, making space for you. Father, I pray in every home, in every marriage, every family, God, I pray, Lord, that our homes would become places that are filled with your presence, God. Lord, I pray in every house church today, Lord, let your presence, let your glory come. Father, let us be people that first and foremost seek your kingdom, make space for you to move in our lives. And Lord, we know we can trust that if we do, everything else we need will be added to us. So we give you thanks for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. I pray that you experience the goodness of God, the blessing of God through the presence of God. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday at the Winter Park Community Center. Have a great, great week.